Good morning, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican and welcome to our Good Friday podcast. We would love to be in the same room together, but that's not possible at the moment. But it's still good that we can share this time. And a particular welcome if you're joining us for the first time. Easter really is an emotional roller coaster. Last week we remembered the triumphant entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as King. On Sunday we will remember the triumph of the resurrection. But in between those two days is today, as we remember the tragedy of the cross. And perhaps more than any other day in the year, we feel the full weight of our sin as we see Jesus suffering in our place and suffering the consequences that we deserve. But we also see just how much we are loved by God. The Apostle Paul put it like this, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so today is bittersweet. It is good to know that we are loved. It is good to know that our sins can be forgiven. It's good to know that we've got nothing to fear from death. And so we come together today with an attitude of thankfulness, but also a certain sombre joy as we remember what Christ did for us. In this podcast, Pete Stacey will be opening up Luke chapter 22 and looking at what it meant for Jesus to submit to the will of the Father and what it means for us to submit to God's will for our life. We'll also have some music. Uh, You are welcome to sing along. You can just sit and reflect. Hey, if you want to dance, go for it. And we'll also have an opportunity to hear from one of our members as they reflect on what the cross means for them. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and I hope you find this time together encouraging.
In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And then after that, we'll have someone read the Bible for us. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it'd be great to go and get one. Uh, or you could use an online Bible. So I suggest using something like Bible Gateway. Hi, everyone. We're, We're the, the Cross Life Youth Leaders. And it's our privilege to lead the prayers for our service today. Let's begin with praise using selected verses from Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Dear God, thank you for telling us how to live. As we consider your Ten Commandments, please forgive us for the ways we fail to obey. You say, no other gods, no idols, honour your name. Father, please forgive us for worshipping all kinds of relationships, possessions and hobbies at the expense of our relationship with you. You say, keep the Sabbath day special. Father, please forgive us for not trusting you to provide our needs and for not enjoying a day of rest each week. You say, honour your father and mother. Father, forgive us for the times we have said and done things to hurt our parents. You say, no murder. Father, please forgive us for having hateful thoughts. You say, be faithful in marriage. Father, please forgive us for having lustful thoughts. You say, no stealing. Father, please forgive us for taking or using things that are not ours or not returning things when we should have. You say, no lies. Father, please forgive us for all untrue, misleading or deceitful things we have said. You say, no envy. Father, please forgive us for not trusting you to provide for us and for not being grateful for all the ways you have blessed us. And Father, thank you that when we ask you to forgive us, you do. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are sovereign over all the world. We ask you be merciful as the world struggles to cope uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Please give great wisdom to political leaders uh, and to medical researchers seeking a breakthrough in the development of a vaccine. Father, please help your people all over the world to be active in sharing their faith, because only by trusting in Christ can the fear of death be removed. We pray especially for Amy Stevens in Cordoba, Argentina, and ask that you encourage her and strengthen her for hours of online ministry to the uni students there. Amen. Dear Father, we ask you to strengthen marriages and families in our church. Please help men to be courageous and godly leaders and wives to graciously support them. Please give wisdom to parents as they raise their children to know and love Christ and help children to obey their parents, for that pleases you. May the families in this church be a shining witness to others in the community of your love and grace. 
Father, please be with those who are in hospital, the sick, recovering, and with those who are grieving. Remind them of your loving presence and your promise to never leave nor forsake those who trust in you. Lastly, we thank you that our Lord Jesus was obedient even to death on a cross and that by his sacrificial death for our sins, we can be forgiven. Thank you for the joy and hope and peace that Jesus brings to all who put their trust in him. And we pray all these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Today's Bible reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 22, beginning at verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Good morning, friends. My name is Pete Stacey. Easter 2020 may well be remembered for many years as the Easter no one went to church. In fact, no one really went anywhere. It's certainly very different. But it's amazing that Easter is remembered at all. I mean, the execution of a man in a rather unimportant corner of the Roman Empire is remembered and celebrated by billions of people around the globe 2,000 years later. Well, humanly speaking, it's extraordinary. Now, for some of you, the events of that first Easter may be very familiar. Others may know a bit of the story, uh, perhaps from school scripture or attending church uh, once a year at Easter. Uh, And perhaps for others, you've tuned in online uh, out of curiosity because the whole Easter thing is a bit of a mystery to you. Whatever your background and whatever your motivation, welcome. I'm so glad you can join us this morning. Good Friday is a day we remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In fact, the cross on which he died has become the enduring symbol of the Christian faith. Now, the details of any momentous event in history are always explored with many questions. As we look at the Bible this morning, I want to answer just one. Why? Why did Jesus die? Well, let's pray before we begin. Dear God, thank you that your word brings life and hope to our souls. Please help me to explain it clearly and help us all to understand it and respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, perhaps the most obvious way to answer our question is medically. You see, Jesus died after being flogged, beaten, crucified, and pierced with a spear. I mean, the damage to his body 
and the loss of blood meant that physical life was simply unsustainable. The idea that he uh, nearly died when they buried him and, and he somehow revived himself in the tomb and then appeared to his disciples, uh, it's known as the swoon theory. It's medically impossible. The Roman executions were just too good at their job. Yeah, you can imagine them uh, saying with a bit of smug bravado, Jesus died because we're good at what we do. There was, of course, an official Roman answer, and it's been preserved for us in the writings of the ancient historian Tacitus. He simply said, Christ was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea, in the reign of Tiberius. Now, Pontius Pilate had the imperial power to grant life, or not. So when he gave the order, Jesus was crucified. Now, Jesus was a Jew, and all of this happened in the city of Jerusalem, the political and spiritual capital of Israel. So we need to get the perspective of the Jews. How would they answer this question? As Luke unfolds his account of Jesus' life, the attitude of the religious leaders is regularly on display. As early as chapter 6, we read, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. They suspected him of blasphemy, a capital offence. And so only a few verses later, they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, if we jump down to Luke chapter 19, Jesus has done lots of wonderful miracles and told parables that people remembered so well, wonderful stories. Uh, and people's lives had been changed by his ministry. And let's check in with the, uh, the religious leaders. It says, The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They were jealous of his popularity and influence. They hated the way he interpreted the Old Testament, especially when it highlighted their hypocrisy. And they accused him of blasphemy because he claimed to be equal with God. They did know the scriptures. I'll give them that. Leviticus 24 and verse 16 says this, Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. So this was their opportunity to get rid of him. Jesus died because the Jewish leaders hated him. And according to God's law, he must die. But God's law provides another perspective, that of prophecy. There are over 300 passages in the Old Testament that point us forward to Jesus. Some of them foretell his death specifically. For example, Psalm 22 says, They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Again, Zechariah says, They will look on me whom they pierced. And Isaiah says, He was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Friends, these are astonishing prophecies uttered hundreds of years earlier, all now being fulfilled in one man, Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus die? 
because it was all prophesied. The last line uh, in that uh, Isaiah quote highlights yet another reason why Jesus died. It was God's will. Of course, the most well-known of the verse of the whole Bible reveals God's motivation behind what happened. John 3.16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why did Jesus die? Because of God's love for you and for me. Let that sink in. These are just some of the many ways to answer our question. We've touched on the medical, Roman, Jewish, prophetic and divine answers. But what about Jesus himself? This passage that was read for us this morning helps us understand his perspective. See verse 42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In short, Jesus chose to die. Let's look at the passage together so we can grasp the full significance of what he says here. There's so much here to inspire us, to comfort us and to challenge us. When faced with great danger, the natural human response is fight or flight. Jesus knew the tempest was about to be unleashed on him. So what does he do? Verse 39. Look at it with me. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Prayer was his lifestyle. Seeking God's will so he could obey God's will was his normal way of living. Friends, so often we wait until hardship forces us to seek God. Can I say, if daily time with God is not your normal habit, can I encourage you to give it a go? There's nothing in life better than living in relationship with the God who gives us life. And that's especially true when the storms of life come along, and they will. And with hardship comes new temptations, and with sorrow comes exhaustion. We can see that in the disciples here. The sorrow when you're facing the loss of someone you love is utterly exhausting. And in the midst of sorrow and exhaustion, temptation sneaks up on you. Mostly it's just the temptation to ease the pain in unhelpful and ungodly ways. And it's interesting there in verse 43 that after being strengthened by an angel from heaven, Jesus was still in anguish. Friends, take comfort from that. Life is just really, really hard sometimes. And Jesus understands our weakness. So let's look at his prayer in verse 42. It's astonishing. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. When my dear wife Jude was dying, I prayed like that. I didn't want to face the pain. I wanted a different outcome. But I was completely powerless and had no choice but to surrender to the will of God. And it's a good place to be, surrender to God. And we all need to be there. And if you haven't surrendered to God, then today would be a great day to do so. You may not feel forced like I was in that moment, but it's what we all need. But Jesus was not forced. Matthew 26 says he could have called on 12 legions of angels to rescue him. 
but he chose not to. He had all the power to avoid suffering and death, but he chose not to use it. That's why he adds, not my will, but yours be done. It's such a remarkable prayer in a world whose vision statement is, my will, not yours be done. And we've all prayed like that, every one of us. Move aside, God. I'm going to live this way, my way, not yours. I I know what you say, God, about this, but right now I'm going to do something else instead. The songs, the movies, the magazines of our culture are crammed with this kind of approach. And so are our own hearts too. Jesus recognised here the collision of two wills. He greatly desired a, a different future. He didn't want to face the pain. And yet he committed himself completely, unreservedly to the Father's will. And by not offering any other alternative, God made his will very clear. Proceed as planned. So what was that horrible cup that Jesus was talking about? Well, it's a, it's a reference to the Old Testament, the cup of God's anger against the sin of humanity. The book of Job, Psalms, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, they all use this image often emphasizing that the sinful nations would drain the cup right to the dregs. There would be no escape and no scaling back of God's punishment against human sin. And Jesus understood this all too clearly. His prayer, not my will, but yours be done, is spectacularly unqualified in what the Father's will meant for him. Surrender to the Father's will meant taking on himself the combined sin debt of all humanity throughout all time. No wonder his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Surrender to the Father's will meant the physical agony of being tied up like an animal, beaten with rods, hit with fists, flogged by the Roman lashes, having a crown of thorns thrust into his scalp, being forced to carry the dead weight of the cross and then being nailed to it. And if that wasn't enough, the excruciating, suffocating pain hanging there until he finally breathed his last. All this so that by his wounds, our relationship with God could be healed. Surrender to the Father's will meant the emotional torture of having the perfect, harmonious, eternal relationship with his Father torn to shreds as he became the object of God's righteous anger against human sin. Surrender to the Father's will meant the spiritual agony of exchanging his perfect purity for the stain of our sin. It meant the beauty of holiness that was his very life would become corrupted by all wickedness and filth and evil. It meant that Jesus, the righteous Son of God, 
would become infected with all the unrighteousness of humanity so that we could be clothed in his perfect righteousness. Our sin left Jesus dangling and lifeless on that cross. Jesus exchanged heaven for hell so that the hell we deserve could be exchanged for heaven. It might be Good Friday for us, but for Jesus, it was the darkest, most horrendous day. Perhaps we can begin to understand why he cries, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. There's so much at stake. And yet he's determined, not my will, but yours be done. And it seems even more incredible when you consider some of those for whom he died. Right, look at the passage. There's the disciples who are asleep on the job in verse 46. There's the traitor Judas who turns up with some thugs in verses 47 and 48 and betrays him with a kiss. If we were to read further, there's the religious leaders who hated him. There's his dear friend Peter who denied even knowing him. Pilate and Herod who withhold justice. The soldiers who mock and beat him and the fickle crowds who turn on him and hurl insults. Now we might not be mentioned by name, but I think the behaviour of the crowd echoes the posture of our hearts. To the one who prayed, not my will but yours and surrendered everything for us we consistently respond with my will not yours friends don't trivialize our sin it costs jesus his life the danger of easter is that we ignore the seriousness of our rebellion against god sin sin diminishes life now it spoils life for tomorrow and it robs us of a future with God forever. Sin refuses to surrender to the kindness of a loving God. If sin wasn't so serious, Jesus would never have had to die. But he did die because he chose to bear the cup that we deserve. So that by trusting in him, we can receive God's mercy, forgiveness and peace with him instead. But if we reject Jesus, if we fail to surrender to God, then we will face the full cup of his anger aimed directly at our sin forever. Jesus chose to die because he could see beyond the pain. He knew that beyond the cross was a crown, and that through the cross, he would bring eternal hope to all who put their trust in him. Friends, I think there are two ways that we can respond in light of what we've seen in this passage. Firstly, be grateful. Thank God for his mercy in giving his only son to save us. Thank Jesus for being obedient to God by drinking the cup that we deserve. And the second flows from the first. Surrender to the will of God. That's how we show our gratitude. As Christians, we're called to be like Christ, faithful to our Lord and Saviour, no matter what happens. And bright shines the lamp of any Christian when they surrender to God with humble faith through times of testing. But it's not easy, is it? 
How do we do it? How do we maintain a, a posture of gratitude? And how do we really surrender? Let me illustrate. Along with a bunch of others, I often swim the length of Shell Harbour Beach, dive in off the rocks at the north end and swim to the rocks at the south end. But there's a problem. The beach is curved, there's waves, and sometimes there's a bit of a, a, a rip and plenty of water movement. Um, one arm is stronger than the other, and the ripples in the sand on the bottom aren't parallel to the shore. It's very easy to get disorientated. But sticking up above the trees in the village is the white steeple of St. Paul's Anglican Church. You can see it from out in the ocean. I stay the course if I keep my eyes fixed on the cross. Friends, if we keep our eyes on the cross, we will remain grateful for our salvation and it will inspire us and empower us to surrender fully to God. If we keep our eyes on the cross, we will stay the course through life until we meet our Lord Jesus face to face. May the risen Lord help us. Amen. Hi everyone, I'm Chris Gervin and I'm a keen member of the 6pm congregation. So I come to the beach here often. I live locally, I'm part of the surf club, and so therefore I'm called to be a witness here on the sand. And so it's a very great privilege that we are able to have a service here every Easter day. A great witness on the beach. So I've always appreciated the team effort involved with all those doing things on the sand, whether it's been speaking or witnessing, sharing, constructing, singing, doing puppets, or catering for afterwards. And I've always appreciated and been encouraged by those who come to the service, especially when we've had the baptisms down on the water's edge. So my small role is to come and erect the cross. So I've only ever once carried it from my place, a testimony to what Jesus and Simon of Cyrene had to go through, the like their big cross. But that's not what's important and special for me on Easter Day. On Easter Day, I love the small Easter greeting that we give one another. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So for me, it's a personal and also a group celebration of what Jesus has done on the cross on Easter Day. So we are forgiven, we're right with him, and we share eternal life together. So... May this Easter time be a great blessing to you all. That brings us to the end of our podcast this morning. But we hope we'll see you again on Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. For the disciples, as they observed what was happening on Good Friday, it must have felt like all their hopes were crushed. But on Sunday, what we'll see is that hope restored as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. As we finish up now, it'd be great if you could go onto Facebook and just acknowledge that you're there, just even something as simple as a thumbs up. But even better still, make a comment or a reflection on what's encouraged you from our time together this morning. Have a great day.
And let me finish with the words of the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.